So when I was 16 years old, my father, you remember him, right? My father blessed me with the gift or the loan of the family car. And the wonderful thing about the car was that the car and I shared something very important. We were both 16 years old. I like a car with experience, so that was very good. Now, Dad knew that the mechanic gene had skipped a generation and that I was not a mechanic at all. And so Dad gave me one very important piece of advice back then. He said, there is only one gauge on the dashboard that you don't have to worry about. That is the gas gauge. You don't have to worry about the gas gauge. Because if you run out of gas, you just fill it back up and you're fine. You can go on. But you need to watch the oil gauge. Because if you run out of oil, that's what lubricates the engine and keeps it moving smoothly. And that can cause a, a big problem. He also said you got to watch the temperature. Because if you run out of coolant, if you run out of water, that can cause a problem. The car will overheat and it won't go anymore. So you have to watch that. But you don't have to watch the gas gauge. And I said, yes, Dad, thank you very much. Give me the keys. And... At 16 years old, I paid attention to the gas gauge because at 16 years old, I had places to be. I had things to do. And so imagine my surprise when my father woke me up one morning, when he shook me awake one morning, and he said, I just checked the oil in your car, and it's pretty much gone. When did that happen? It was there the last time I checked it, Dad couple months ago, it was there. It was fine. Everything was fine. And imagine my surprise when one morning my dad woke me up and he said, you've got a hole in your radiator and I've made an appointment for you to go get it fixed. And I spent the day sitting in some guy's stinking garage while he fixed my radiator. Imagine my surprise when those things happened. Both of those events taught me something very important. I can have a full tank of gas. I can have all the fuel I need to go as fast as I want, to go as far as I want, but if the oil is gone, or if the water is gone, I'm not going anywhere. I am stuck. And even worse, I have ruined a gift that I was given. And I haven't ruined it from lack of love or lack of use. I have ruined it from lack of care, lack of maintenance. And what is true for a car engine is also true for the church. I've seen churches filled with the Holy Spirit. I've seen very, very spiritual churches where, where, where they, they, they have a, a wonderful, wonderful spirit there, and yet there's no unity. I've seen churches with great leaders, with great programs, with, with great buildings, and yet the people don't get along. And I've seen individual Christians who can who can quote the Bible. They have amazing knowledge of the Bible. They can, uh, they can tell you right and wrong. They can tell you exactly what Jesus would do, and yet there's no unity. There is no ability to get along with others. They can't build bridges, and the church suffers. So what on earth could prevent God from using Christians and using churches to do His work here? I think we find the answer in Psalm 133, and I think my dad was right. I think it's about oil, and I think it's about water. <clears throat> now, Psalm 133 is a, is a short psalm. It's a very pointed little song. And it tells us in no uncertain terms that unity 
is a gift from God. If you're using those Bibles in front of you, it's page 519. We're looking at Psalm 133. And if you notice at the very beginning of the psalm, it says that this is a song of ascents. And obviously when we ascend, we go up, right? And so it's believed that these songs of ascents, there are 15 of them in the, in the book of Psalms, that the songs of ascent were used when the people would go up to worship. When they would gather for festivals and come together, they would sing these songs of ascent. And as you read the words of Psalm 133, you can imagine the need for a song like this one. It begins, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. That very first verse tells us two things about unity. Unity is good, and unity is pleasant. Now, we use those words interchangeably. We think they're the same thing. If something's good, it's obviously pleasant. If something's pleasant, it's obviously good. But that's not necessarily so. Good speaks objectively. Unity is good because it is created good. It is, it is good in its, in its nature. And then pleasurable is pleasant. Something that is pleasant is a subjective uh, idea. It is pleasant because of the effect that it has on us. It's pleasant because of the way it makes us feel. You see the difference? Exercise is good, but it's not always pleasant, right? And ice cream is pleasant, but it's not good for you. It's not good in its, in its nature. You understand the difference there? But in unity, we have a gift from God that is by nature good, and by its effect on us, it is pleasant. The psalm compares unity with two tangible examples, oil and water. The oil that was used to anoint the priests as they would enter the temple to make the sacrifices, and water in the form of the dew that would fall on Mount, uh, on Mount Hermon, on the mountains there in Israel to refresh the land and refresh the people. And what we see is that unity is not just a nice byproduct of a growing and happy church, unity is a gift from God that enables us to grow and enables us to grow together. Like the oil that they anointed the high priests with, it's unity that ushers us into the presence of God. I remember when I first read this psalm, when I first really paid attention to it, and I got to verse 2, and verse 2 just sounds icky to me. Verse 2 just makes me cringe when I read it. Verse 2 says, it, that is unity, it is like precious oil on the head. It is like oil running down on the beard and, and on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. And I read that and I think about living here in Illinois and I think about the heat and the humidity and the idea of someone, someone pouring oil on my head and it running down my beard. And, and it just, ooh, it just, it just makes me cringe. I guess I've been around enough friars that I don't want to think about frying oil being poured on top of me. But the oil it's referring to was the, the sacred anointing oil, the oil that was used in the temple. Everything in the temple was anointed with this special sacred anointing oil. The, the, the lampstands were anointed, the, the altar was anointed, even the Ark of, Ark of the Covenant was anointed with this oil. And the high priest, Aaron, and his sons and their descendants, the Levites, they were all anointed with this oil. And in, in Exodus chapter 30, verse 32, it says of this oil, 
it shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person like you or me, and you shall make none other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. This oil was to be entirely unique. There was to be none other like it, and it was not to be available to anyone but the priests. Only those who were to enter the presence of God could be anointed with this oil. And then Psalm 133 says, the unity that you experience with each other, it's like that oil. It's like that. That oil that the, that the average person, the ordinary person would never feel, would likely never get close enough to even smell or, or experience at all, that, he says, unity is like that oil. Because in the same way that that oil would prepare priests to enter the presence of God, the unity you experience with each other brings you into the very presence of God. And so is it any wonder that over and over again in the Bible, we're called to protect the unity that we experience with each other. We're called to to honor the unity we have and to defend the unity and protect the unity. Is it any wonder that above all else, Satan seeks to destroy the unity that the church experiences? That over and over again, we, we find ourselves in chaos, we find ourselves in turmoil, we find ourselves butting heads because Satan wants to destroy the unity that we experience. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Peter says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And every one of those sins listed there is a sin that disrupts unity, that destroys fellowship, that divides Christians and divides churches. You go down a few verses and, and Peter goes on in his explanation. He says, he says, you yourselves, and that means he means us together. He's saying y'all, you all, you, you yourselves are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The, the high priests couldn't offer acceptable sacrifices unless they were first anointed with that oil. So what makes us think that anything we do, however beautiful it might be, however important it might be, however meaningful it might be to someone else, what, what makes us think that anything that we do means anything or is acceptable if it's not done with unity, without us being one? One of the big things that's happening in, in American society today is there are a lot of people who love Jesus they love Jesus, but they reject the church. And they are spiritual people. They are reading their Bibles. They're reading their Bibles a lot. They're listening to worship music and Christian music. They listen to it in their homes. They listen to it in their cars. They even listen to sermons online. Some of them might even listen to my sermons online. But when it comes to church, they say, no thank you. I don't need the drama. <laughs> and believe me, I understand that. I, I get that. But I have to tell you, everything I read here tells me that you're missing out on something that's essential to your faith. You're missing out on, on fellowship if you're not joining with other Christians, if you're not coming together. And I'm not telling you you're not saved, but I'm, I'm telling you you're, you're not complete. Again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, you are together, you yourselves are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And let me ask, 
Can I truly do that if I'm not in fellowship with other people? If I'm not in fellowship with, with other Christians? There's another blessing in this psalm and in our relationships with others. And that is that unity refreshes us like nothing else. I may not be able to completely appreciate verse 2 of the psalm with its oil being poured on the head, but I do appreciate verse 3 of the psalm. I get verse 3. Verse 3 says, it, that is, the, that is unity, it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on, mount, on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The, the summer months in Jerusalem are hot and dry. There is virtually no precipitation at all in Jerusalem in the summer months, even in the form of dew. And so, in those months, during those months, there are at least two festivals that are held on Mount Hermon because Mount Hermon is high enough, it's at a high enough altitude that the dew continues to form on Hermon even when everything below is brown and dead. And so, in May, they go up to Hermon for the Feast of the First Fruits and they all gather and they go up there and they enjoy the presence. And then in September, they would return to Mount Hermon for the, for the festival of the, of the tabernacles. And they would go and camp out in, in, on Mount Hermon and enjoy the presence and enjoy the, the refreshing uh, weather that's up there on Mount Hermon. Right here in Illinois, though, in this time of year, we were really blessed with that rain last night, but in this time of year, it's not unusual to get up even early in the morning and step outside and just go, Ugh, you know? You felt that the last few days? Uh, some buddies of mine were at wilderness camp last week. I felt so sorry for them, Bob. I don't know how they do it. I've been to wilderness camp. It's, that's not fun. You know, sitting in air conditioning, that's fun. I, I don't understand wilderness camp. But, but you, know, you, you step out, and, and some mornings you even step out, and there's no, there's no dew. And your immediate thought is, where can I go to get away from this place? You know, can, can I book a vacation somewhere? Can I find some place nice and, and sunny with, with maybe a beach nearby? Or maybe today's the day we pack up the family and we go to the pool today. Or maybe today's the day I just shut the door, turn the lights off, and crank the AC and just enjoy it while I'm, while I'm here at home. But, but our first thought is we've got to get away from this place. But you know, living in Illinois is, part of living in Illinois is recognizing that there are seasons that are hot and dry and miserable. And part of life is just recognizing that in life itself, there are seasons that are hot, there are seasons that are dry, and there are seasons that are absolutely miserable. Life has its harsh seasons. Life has moments when your spirit is, is just dry. And, and so the question is, where do we turn? Where do we go? Where do we find refreshing in those times? This psalm says unity provides that refreshing for us. Like the dew of Hermon, it, it brings refreshing to us and it brings life. And we ought to bring refreshing in life to one another. I love Paul's little letter to Philemon. And Philemon, there's a wonderful compliment that Paul pays to Philemon in that letter that he wrote to him. Philemon was, was a wealthy man. He lived in the little town of Colossae. We've talked about Colossae a lot. Colossae was a little town a lot like Kansas. He was wealthy and he had a big house and the church would meet in Philemon's house there in Colossae. And, and Philemon welcomed people into his home. He taught people in his home. And Paul taught him how to forgive people even in his home. And Paul says of Philemon in verse 7, he says, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been 
refreshed through you. And I love that word refreshed right there. It means other people can relax around you. Other people can, can take a break around you. Other, other people can put their feet up around you. And you know people that you can put your feet up around. And you know people that you can't, right? Philemon was one of those people that you could put your feet up. You could, you could re relax when Philemon was around. And Paul says that I have taken much joy and comfort because you do that for other people. Paul isn't saying he's done that for him, although I'm sure he had. But he says you do that for other people. And I take joy and comfort in that. He knew how to bring peace to others. He knew how to bring the presence of Jesus. Jesus comes. And we're told that He is the Prince of Peace, right? Jesus is the, the Prince of Peace. Jesus comes and He says, I have come so that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus comes to His disciples and He says to His disciples, come away with Me to a quiet place and get some rest. So if you've welcomed Jesus into your life, if we've welcomed Him, him into the fellowship of this church, this ought to be a place where people find peace. This ought to be a place where people find abundant life and where people find rest, right? They ought to experience those things as we do life together in the unity that we have together. Your presence in the lives of others should bring the very presence of God. I know my dad was right about cars. I'm starting to think my dad was right about the church too. And believe me, no one is more surprised at that than me. Are we paying attention to the right gauges in the church? I go to a lot of meetings with other preachers. I go to a lot of preacher meetings and, and I try to go and encourage guys. I try to go and, and help them out. And if I go to a preacher's meeting and I meet someone I've never met before, do you know what the first question they're going to ask me is? What the first question another preacher always asks me is? How big's your church? That's the gauge we watch, isn't it? How big's your church? What's your attendance like? Because that's the gauge we watch. That's the fuel gauge. We pay attention to that. We count, we count nickels and noses every Sunday. We count nickels and noses, you know? We want to know how many people we got, how big was our, atten how was our attendance, how big was our offering, because we treat attendance and offering like that fuel gauge. We can go further and we can go faster if we've got a bigger attendance, if we've got a bigger offering, if we've got more people, if we've got more money. No one in those preacher meetings ever asks me, how are people getting along together in your church? What's the, what's the unity like in your church? It never comes up. It does come up. Eventually it comes up. It finally comes up when something's broken in someone's church. That's when it comes up. When there are people who aren't getting along when there's someone who is angry, when, when there's people on this side who aren't speaking to people on that side, and I know here it's the Cardinal fans and the Cub fans, I understand. But when, when, when there's people who aren't speaking or, or when there's a church split and suddenly the church is broke because friction has eaten it up and heat has burned it out, I think we need to ask ourselves, are we paying attention to the right gauges? Rather than being simply concerned about numbers and money, are we concerned about unity? Are we concerned about fellowship? You know, when we start asking questions about attendance, that becomes a they issue. You know what I mean? That becomes a they issue. Because we can sit here and we can ask the question, where are they? And we don't know who the they are, but suddenly the problem becomes they. The problem is, is they. 
Where are they? Who are they? Why aren't they here? That, we can't do anything about they. But when we ask questions about unity, we're asking questions that we can ask ourselves as a group and as individuals. As, as individuals, we can ask ourselves, do I honor the presence of God in our church by seeking unity with others? Am I one who is willing to forgive? Am I one who is willing to love? Am I one who is willing to seek peace for the sake of Christ? If we needed unity, if we didn't have unity in our church, would I be one that would say, if we need unity, it'll start with me. I will bring unity. There's another question we need to ask ourselves. And this is a tough question, but it, it needs to be asked. The question is this. Am I refreshing to be around? Are we willing to ask ourselves that question? Am I a, am I a refreshing person to be around? That's a tough one, but we need to ask it. Am I refreshing to be around? Am, do, do I come with joy? You don't count, Paul. Do I come with joy? Do I come with peace when I come to church? Do I, do I come seeking to refresh others? Or do I bring conflicts? Do I bring problems? Do I bring complaints but no solutions to those complaints? Is there something about me that just sucks the joy out of a room? Does that happen? That's a tough question. It's tough because you, you may not see it in yourself. This is when you need a very good friend who is very, very honest with you. And you need someone that you can sit down with and you can just ask them, how am I doing? What's it like to sit across the table from me? What's it like to, to sit across the table and, and talk to me? That final, verse of, of ver that final verse of Psalm 133 has an amazing promise. The second half says, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. I love that verse. But it's a little ambiguous. Where is the there? Where is the there that he's talking about? Is the there the temple where the priests were anointed and where their, uh, their gifts were accepted by God because they were anointed with the oil just like you're anointed with unity? Is the there Mount Hermon where the dew fell and it refreshed people? Which there is there? And I think the answer is yes. That's the there. Because the there is wherever you and I are. Are, or it should be. Unity is good. Unity is pleasant. Let's be willing to be the people, to be the individuals who will bring unity. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we confess that there have been too many times when we have sacrificed unity for our own selfish reasons. We've worshipped without fellowship. We've taken communion without communing. And we've looked for Your presence everywhere but in the lives of those around us. And so today we commit ourselves again to unity. We commit to bringing that which is good and pleasant into the lives of others and into the life of Your church. We commit to being here for each other so that by our presence, others might know Your presence. We commit to bringing refreshment and peace so that others will know the refreshment and peace that comes from You. And we do this knowing that the unity that we experience is not founded on our own ability to get along. 
It is founded in Your love for us. It is born out of the realization that while we were still sinners, far from You, Your Son died for us. And so let our love for others be a reflection of Your amazing love for us through Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.